loves to save the fallen man and give a heart that's new, that he may show his mercy now that he has ransomed you. Isn't it strange? There's a world full of... There's a world full of fallen men, fallen people that have immortal souls, and they're going to live forever. Not in these particular bodies, and not in these particular circumstances. But the human being is an immortal being. The body dies, and the soul lives on, and it's going to have another body, and it's either going to live in bliss forever, or it's going to be punished forever. And God makes the rules. It isn't that you can say, well, I've got my own ideas. I'm going to take my chance. That doesn't do any good for anybody. God's made the rules. He does the judging and he does the giving of eternal gifts. And then what a mercy to be called. And the chosen are so few. So very, very few people ever hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Churches are full of them this morning. They're not going to hear the gospel of how God saves the sinner or the love that God had to sinners from eternity and that there's many called but few chosen. All those are great Bible truths. They're not going to hear that this morning. By the grace of God, y'all will. Love them songs that Brother has. But we're in Second Peter, first chapter, verse Verse 6. Now, in today's lesson, it's going to seem like we're going to do a little meddling. Now, a lot of people don't like to be meddled with. They don't mind to have a general broadside shot and everybody catch their own little bit. But this is going to go to meddling in here this morning. It has to do with temperance. You know, uh... Temperance is a word that we, we have a pretty good idea of what it means, and even the great prohibition era in this country was called a, a, a temperance movement. So, it's in our scriptures today. Let's see what verse 6 says. And to knowledge, temperance. You add temperance to knowledge. To temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness. But let's start back here in verse 5. And besides this, give all diligence. Add to your faith virtue. We had that lesson to virtue, knowledge. That was last week. And to knowledge, temperance. Now, this grace of temperance may be diversely understood. It's the salt of every virtue. Profession of faith without temperance is turned into hypocrisy. Patience without discretion wrongs a good cause. A man must bear his own injuries patiently, but not God's nor the church's. Know what I'm talking about? Like Moses pled for the people's cause with God with prayers and tears. But when God said, hey, such and such has to be done, but God's cause against the people was sword and vengeance. When judgment was given, then it has to be given out, and there is no temperance then. Brotherly kindness without temperance is brotherly silliness. So kindness runs into cruelty. When you feed your friends, sensual appetite, flatter him in his lust, you conceal his fault. You follow his humors. And in all kindness, this is to 
fill his soul in kindness. Kill him. That's the wrong kind. Charity without temperance is also silly. It gives with an open hand and a shut eye so that a man may for his charity go to the devil when instead of God's friends he rewards his enemies. Say, oh, I want to give to this cause. It sounds like a good cause. That's fine, you know. Not all causes are good causes. Let's make it God's cause. Even knowledge itself. It says add to knowledge temperance. Knowledge itself. Look at the First Corinthians 8.1. You know what that says? Knowledge puffeth up. First Corinthians 8.12. Uh, 8.1. Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Now knowledge puffeth up. Just knowledge puffeth up. But charity edifieth. Some people hold so much to their knowledge that they feel that the rest of the world are just dunces compared to themselves. Some think themselves so wise that all the sober and peaceable spirits of the land are mere fools to them. That's your educational knowledge. That's your knowledge that is general learning in the schools. One is so wise that he cares for no preacher at all, and another wills that such a factious one shall teach him and nobody else. Some don't care to have anybody teach him, especially preachers. And then you have those that will follow one preacher, one man, no matter what he says, no matter what he does, you're going to learn from him and nobody else. Well, we've learned our lesson in this congregation. You don't hang on to nobody's coattail. Nobody. I don't care how holy and how popular or how boisterous or how wonderful the preacher is or how lowly he is or where he came from. If what he says you can't check by God's word, then forget it. Don't hang on to nothing. There is no man that has a heart that's totally sanctified by God. Within us lives an old man. The scriptures describe that old man completely. Hey, another person that describes the heart real good is in our daily devotions in Bacchus Vale and the Ears from Harvested Sheaves, old Phil Potts. Boy, he puts it right on the line. Right on the line. All right. Now, the grace of an action is the manner. And the grace of the manner is order, and the grace of the order is discretion. And this is where we come to our temperance. Temperance is not so much a virtue itself as it's the, the policeman, the marshal, the moderator of all virtues. It is not enough to do a good work unless the due place, fit manner, and convenient time be observed. There's a time for everything, there's a way for everything. Now, temperance is taken for such a moderation of the mind as neither to surfeit on fullness nor to despair on want. In other words, you don't feast yourself on, on good things all the time and then despair because you, you feel that you're going to have a problem. That's not bringing things before the Lord and that's not temperance. Temperance is the evenness of mind. 
This temperance is steady and habitual firmness that has no critical fits. The fanatic, though he be sober, eleven months. If he rage, one month. He cannot avoid the imputation of being called mad. And when there is no disturbance, to be quiet is not worth anything. Do you ever think about that? Think per quiet person is real, real different? Well, if there's totally no disturbance and everything is quiet, what good does it do to be quiet? So you see where temperance is? Temperance there would allow a little noise. In the world ye shall have tribulation. You remember that? That's in John 16:33. Our Lord always warns about having tribulation in this world. Now, when this cause of disquiet comes, then to be resolved and peaceful, this is what is temperance. If during your time of tribulation you are calm and collected, it's temperance. Indeed, the best man's temperance may fail in one particular act, but this does not take away the habit from him. Lastly, temperance is taken for a moderate use of outward things, and it comprehends in it abstinence when we eat and drink, and as far as our personality is being brave about certain circumstances. Behold the beauty of this fair grace by viewing the blackness of the opposite sin in temperance. There is intemperance in four different things. In lust, it's called incontinence. In apparel, it's called pride. In food, it's called gluttony. And in drink, it's called drunkenness. All of which are but the effects of intemperance. Now, the first one concerning lust or incontinence to this intemperance, we're all naturally prone, but in a different sort. Some quite expel and mortify this desire by grace, for he that is one spirit with Christ will scorn to be one flesh with a harlot. That's 1 Corinthians 6.17. Let's turn there and see what it says. To see it is to believe it. To listen sometimes you don't catch it. 1 Corinthians 6.17 But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Oh, what's so bad about that? If I'm not hurting anybody else. Well, look at the next verse. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. That's what redemption means. You've been paid for. You've been bought out of the slave market. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This is not intended, though, against marriage. There is no defilement in marriage. Hebrews 13.4 says marriage is honorable in all and the bed is undefiled. 
Now, there's a lot of people that are not ashamed of their outward corruption of incontinence. I think Jeremiah 5, 8 really spells it out for you. If you want to look there just a second, Jeremiah 5, 8 says that people act like fed horses. Just like fed horses. Jeremiah 5, 8. They were as fed horses in the morning. Everyone neighed after his neighbor's wife. Now the means to avoid this intemperance are here. By subduing the body to the soul. I keep my under my body and bring it into subjection. Paul is saying that in 1 Corinthians 9.27. 1 Corinthians 9.27, take a look at it. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I wonder if Jimmy Swaggart ever saw that verse in the Bible. The body is that part which is against the Lord. The body will beg, but let a shameless beggar have a shameless denial. When the body does what the good soul dictates, there is a breathing saint. When the soul consents to the body's appetite, there is a blind man led by his dog. By devouring the flesh of all lust-provoking meats and drinks, it is wretched to have this noisome fire, wicked to feed it with fuel. Sodom found that fullness of bread was the mother of unnatural filthiness. High diet is adulterer's nurse. You shall seldom see a man continent that is not abstinent. He that will ever be running for fuel never meant to put out the fire. Now, by avoiding beautiful temptations, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.18 to flee fornication. We just read it. Resist other sins, but flee from this one. Stand not to try your strength, but run away. You're not going to win. If you will endure a conference with a harlot or prostitute, she will conquer. Satan, having conquered the woman, never came at the man, but left the woman to do that. He thought she would be devil enough to tempt the man, and he was right. Talking about Adam and Eve. Solomon, with all his wisdom, Samson, with all his strength, were overcome. The people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Numbers 25, verse 1. Turn there. Numbers, way back in the front of the Bible. 25, verse 1. You're going to say, well, what's the daughter of Moab got to do with this? And the people abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. 
Now the daughters of Moab were light-haired and light-skinned by nature, for they were begot in incest. Lot's daughter lay with her own father while he was drunk and called her son Moab, which signifies the son of her father. Impudent woman, not to be ashamed of so foul and horrible an act. And thus they were light-skinned and light-haired by nature. I think that's where your blue eyes come from, too. They had it by kind, it cost them nothing. Now, a harlot, the more beautiful the more deceitful. It is rare to see a woman chaste that is poor and fair. Now that takes some thinking. A good-looking girl hasn't got a chance in society if she's poor and has no religious upbringing. No chance whatsoever. That's why Hollywood's full of them. They all go there. All the ones that think they're pretty head west. No morals, no good common reasoning. Now, how would we escape this thing? Well, one of the good ways is by meditating upon the punishment. If in the act of thy lust you could look into the dark doors of hell and behold adulterers and their harlots embracing flames, quenchless flames, howling, shrieking, cursing, bound to eternity of insufferable horrors, this might cool the heat. For lustful kisses, kissing fire. For soft beds, beds of despair. Wanton songs, gnawing of their tongues. Revelation 6.16 So they're going to wish that the mountains would fall on them and cover them. Oh, that this would slacken somebody's intemperance. What men think most pleasing is most plaguing. Think you see beyond your youth and your beauty? What's there? Old age. What's beyond old age? Sickness. What's beyond sickness? Death. Beyond death, judgment. Beyond judgment, hell. Beyond that, no limits of time or torments, all endless, endless, endless. And then thou criest, God, be merciful to me. No, be merciful to thyself. Before that, weep for your own sins and beseech God to kill those lusts that by the death of Christ. Now the second kind of intemperance, that was it for lust, is in apparel. Pride, pride. Indeed, pride has lost itself in the name of fashion. Everybody goes with the fashion of his world, even the little bitty kids. They've got to have their fashionable clothes. Got to have somebody's name written on it. Anything that the world dictates, whether they raise the skirts or whether they lower them, it doesn't make any difference. Women go. Remember those horrible, horrible pointed shoes that women wore years ago? Almost every woman crippled herself during that time trying to squeeze their feet into those terrible-looking shoes. High heels are bad enough for your health. Fashion. 
They've always been like that shirt has. It hasn't changed any. I want you to turn over to Isaiah 3. Look at <coughs> Isaiah 3. We're going to have a little description of the, the daughters of Zion. God's people brought up with the law right there. No, no reason. Look at verse 16. Start with verse 16. Moreover, the Lord said, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go and making a tinkling with their feet, therefore the Lord will smite with a stab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will discover their secret part. In that day the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet, and their calls and their round tires like the moon. The chains and the bracelets and the mufflers, the bonnets and the ornaments of the legs and the headbands and the tablets and the earrings, the rings and the nose jewels, the changeable suits of apparel and the mantles and the wimples and crisping pins, the glasses and fine linen and the hoods and the veils. Hey, you think the Lord don't know what's going on? Did he miss anything? Of course not. You would think, my goodness, why such a... This is the Lord's description of what's going on. Now, not every woman took care of every particular same thing in here, but the Lord puts them all in the same pile. He knows what's going on in every single individual fashion. Got to look better than the next one. Innumerable are their boxes and powders and paintings and how they daub their mud walls with drugstore mortar. Interesting phrase, isn't it? It's not mine. I'm just reading it to you. They daub the mud walls with drugstore mortar. Painting is for walls, not for faces. Paul said, God shall smite thee, thou painted wall, in Acts 23.3. That's why I say walls are for painting. And then there's a dying of hair, too. That's always been. I don't say it's so bad for somebody that's graying to just keep it a little bit darker, but to change colors when kids. Kids that go to school that have dark hair want to be blondes. Blondes want to be brunettes. Half of them want to be redheads. We've got colored kids walking around school with red hair. A lot of them. Then many fa follow Absalom's fashion to carry a whole forest of hair on their heads. As if that was the grace which God has forbidden as ungracious. Like birds of paradise, their feathers are more valuable than their carcasses. Now we should begin by remembering the rock from which we've been hewn. Say that thou are born noble. You think that you're made of finer clay or finer metal than the next person? No way. Everybody's on the same level. We have all one common mother, and the proudest dust 
once it's dead, to putrefy and stink for all the perfumes as soon as the poorest. You know what I just said? That the rich, when they die, will rot and stink just like the poorest beggar on the street. That makes everybody equal. Six feet of ground makes everybody equal. Talking about fashion now and pride. What have your brave rags better thee? A golden bridle makes not the better horse. And if your coat is made of wool, the sheep wore it before you did. Or if it's silk, the silly worm may pull it down from you. See, the bowels of worms have clothed thee, and when you die, you fill the bowels of worms. Now, whatsoever the outside be, look to the inside, the linings. The body is worth more than the raiment. Therefore, the soul is worth more than the body, for the body is but the raiment of the soul. Now, why would you despise the poor brother? Say, I have more lands. Yeah, happily, but you have more sins. I have better apparel, a neat outside, probably a sluttish inside. I'm fair, perhaps in face, but fouler in heart. You are rich in the poor commodities of this world and the poor in the rich commodities of the other. An admonition, peacock, look down at your feet. There's only one garment worth having. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 8, uh, 13, 14, and this is the best robe that was brought out in Luke 15, 22. Remember the father said, bring out the best robe, for this my son was lost and is found. If we love a silken garment, Woven out of the bowels of a worm, how much more should we love the garment woven out of the bowels of our Lord Jesus Christ? Thus hath God allowed to some a great measure of honor, a great measure of riches, a great measure of prosperity, but not one dram of pride. Now we come to the third part of intemperance, having to do with food, eating in making those things injuries to the body which God ordained to be conservative to the body. Everyone has Eve's sweet tooth that longs for forbidden things. The wise man will, di will distinguish between his body and the lust of his body. His allowance, therefore, shall be such as may preserve nature but not please intemperance for the measure. It is not of men. They make their belly their God. Philippians 3.19 says that. They make their belly their God. For they that like best and love most, what they love best and like most is their God. Now feast, and oftentimes we go to a banquet, we go to a, a supper, we go to a party. Feasts have their just allowance. Our Savior himself honored a great feast with his presence and a miracle. That's the very first miracle our Lord did, was going to a wedding feast and changed water into wine because they had run out of wine. 
but they must not be unseasonable as to feast when we need to fast. When God calls to mourning, then we should go to mourning, to fasting. Now Joseph and Mary went up to Jerusalem to the great feast with Jesus when he was 12 years old. And they couldn't keep him there. At that feast, they lost him. The children sometimes went with the father, sometimes with the mother. But between them both, Christ was lost. So easily is Christ lost at a feast. It is observable that in the temple they found him. That's in verse 46. They lost him at a feast, but they found him again in the church. The end of such feast is commonly the beginning of a fight. Upon the Sodomites feasting, upon the Sodomites feasting, the heaven rained down fire and brimstone. Upon Job's children feasting, the house fell down. Against Belshazzar feasting, the finger on the wall wrote characters of destruction. If gluttony be the founder, Satan is the confounder. The host provides meat for the belly, the guest a belly for the meat. Death destroys them both. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. 1 Corinthians 6.13, that's what that is. Paul says that their end is damnation, that's Philippians 3.19. It is heavy that the end is damnation, but it is worse that their damnation is without end. It is written of good Job that he feared his children at a feast. It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, as Job 1.5. He was ever mindful of his children. Let us be like the deer who are ever most fearful at their best feeding. Beware lest your indulgence of the throat be the suffocation of grace. Be jealous or be careful when you're at a feast. And lastly, we're going to find that the end of feasting or gluttony is rottenness and death. Why do you feed that flesh so fat that must feed the worms? The daintiest of flying swimming or running creatures are buried in our bowels. Somebody saw a dove flying by the other day. I can't remember who it was. A pretty little dove. Said, oh, I wish I had my gun. We live upon death. The finest food shall make no better dust. When moderation itself cannot avoid dying, how do, can we think to prop up our tabernacle or our body by overeating? Lay hold on temperance. The physician says nothing is better for the body than temperance. The lawyer says nothing is better for the estate than temperance. The philosopher says nothing is better for the wits than temperance. The divine or the preacher says nothing is better for the soul than temperance. It is good for the body, good for the brain, good for the estate, good for the soul. Readily, therefore, of orphans and the diaries of widows. 
Now many devour on earth that which they shall digest in hell. Now lastly, let me show you a real banquet. He brought me into the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. That's Song of Solomon's 2.4. This is the bread which came down from heaven. He that eateth of it shall never die. John 6.58. Let's turn to that one, because I want you to see our Lord Jesus Christ as the water of life and the bread of life. John 6.58 This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. As he is both the physician and the medicine in respect of his blood, so he is both the pastor and the food in respect of his body. He feeds his lambs, not on his grounds, but on his wounds. All men eat the bread of God, the saints, the bread that is God himself. Now we come to the last one. Intemperance in drink. We call it drunkenness. Moderate wine is physical. Immoderate is terrible. It is made for pleasure, not for fullness. It is given to make the heart of man glad. We do it civilly to show of honest gladness and maintenance of friendship. So our Savior supplied the want of wine at a wedding. John 2 again. Only intemperance makes the sin, abuses the creature, offends the Creator, and only against this is what we're talking about. Incontinence. Intemperance. Drunkenness is produced from the concurrence of many causes. The main is an inordinate desire of drink. Not he that drinks wine, but he that inordinately loves wine is the drunkard. Their soul danceth in the cup, and their eye delights in the color of wine. Proverbs 23, 31. They drink not for necessity, but for luxury. Not for society, but for drunkenness itself. Indeed, not for their friend's sake, but for the drink's sake. A strong body without strong grace is strong to sin. Thus the strongest is the weakest, strong to commit sin, weak to resist sin. They drink not once against dryness, nor a second time against sadness, but continually for madness. This is love of drink. And what comes with it? Evil company. How do I know that? The Bible says, come, I will fetch wine and we will fill ourselves with strong drink. That's Isaiah 56, 12. It was a noble answer that one prince gave when one person told him how deep a health he had pledged for him by drinking. Say, let's have a toast. 
He said, don't drink to my health, pray for it. The first taste doth but taste the wine, the first draught. The second wash, washes the mouth, the third cooleth it. The fourth drink threatens war against thirst. The fifth fights with it, the sixth overcomes it, and the seventh triumphs over it. Necessity, a man must drink. Commodity, a man should drink. Pleasure, he may drink. Fullness, he may not drink. Fullness, completely drunk, and that is bad. And in madness, that is worst of all. Here are the deadly draughts to which drunkenness runs. First of all, you lose everything you got. It overturns the estate. Proverbs 23:21 says, The drunkard shall come to poverty. We've seen that. We know what that means. He consumes more in a day than he can earn in a week. He is his own thief. He needs no oppressors. He don't need any enemies. He's a caterpillar to himself. It poisons the tongue. Swearing and lying are the ordinary effects of it. Because we are men, while the wine is in thy hand, thou art a man. Oh, come drink. And when it's in your head, you're a beast. The drunkard cries to his fellow, Do what I do. One fellow who is urged to drink, Immoderately, come, let's get drunk, cast the drink on the ground. And then they made fun of him, said, oh, look what you've lost. He said, if I had drunk it, I had lost both the drink and myself. He was wise. And because we are citizens, we should therefore lead civil lives. Drunkenness is an uncivil thing to do. And because we say we're Christians, Thou, O man of God, flee these things, is what Paul says to 1 Timothy in 6.11. The grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to live soberly. As Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. We're going to run out of time. I'm not going to be able to give you the rest of this. Thus, in some poor measure, I've described the monster of intemperance, a sin so odious that it is abhorred of God despised of angels, derided of men, pleasing only to devils. And yet we have small hope to subdue it, for it is insensible. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 6, and that's where we're going to finish. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Who you hang around with, or who you're associated with, is what you are. No matter if it's in school, or any place. Here's what God's Word says. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. This just don't mean marriage. This is talking about all of your life. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness? 
What concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Hey, if you're a believer, if you're listening to the gospel, if you're interested in your own salvation, what part do you have with people who despise Christ, have nothing to do with religion, know nothing about the Bible, and care nothing about talking about heavenly things? This is what he's reasoning with you with. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them. Be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I'll receive you. You just don't come to church and then go out with your buddies and do this and do that, and they never mention the Lord's name except to cuss. You're trying to clean yourself up. These are God's promises. And I'll be a father unto you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. Look at the first verse of the next chapter. Having, therefore, these promises. God's promising you that he'll be your father. You'll be the son. But you've got to clean yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Isn't that interesting? He has a part and you have a part. And as you learn more about Christ, you're going to hate more and more about the world. Their talk, their habits, their customs, their sports, their entertainment, their recreation, everything. Because they all have to do with these things we talked about today. Incontinence, eating, drinking, and pride of what you wear. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank thee this morning for this was a serious hour. Talking about things that affect every single one of us and everybody on the face of this earth has to know how to be temperate temperate in all things temperate in eating and in drinking and in even in their religion we ask this morning that thou be with each one here and each family represented touch hearts Make the things of eternity most important, the things of Christ just precious to our hearts. Help us to abhor those things of the world that drag us down. Give us strength. Give us wisdom. We need wisdom. Your word says.